We're going to continue with our series on vision and looking at being a disciple, making a disciple, and sending, being sent out, sending a disciple in Jesus' name. We'll be in Acts chapter 1, Acts 8, and also uh, Acts 13. So please join me in prayer and we'll get in the word uh, together. Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness in our lives. We do thank you that you reign over all, that none of this is outside of your control. If there's areas of our lives where we're in fear, Lord, would you take out that fear from us? Help us to see every opportunity that you would give to us to proclaim the name of Christ during this time. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So B flows into make and make flows into send. Being a disciple is to follow Christ, to hear his invitation to follow him. And then the make is to invest in someone else, to share the things that Christ has taught you, to go to the nations and proclaim his name. The send is the Holy Spirit sending us out into a lost and dying world. We'll see in Acts chapter 1 that God sends us by the power of the Holy Spirit. I would encourage you to open up your Bibles as you're listening and take notes. I know for me, when I'm listening to a live stream, it's easy to be doing the dishes or to be making lunch and having some chips while I'm also listening. And I'd encourage you to engage with, with the message. So this is point number one, is that we're sent by the power of the Spirit. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said... You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus instructed the disciples to wait, to wait in Jerusalem before they were even to step out into the Great Commission. They needed the power of God, they needed the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had predicted and prophesied the empowering of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist baptizing with water, but Jesus baptizing with the Holy Spirit. So as they were baptized in water, were to be immersed in the Holy Spirit, our whole life consumed by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is saying, wait until you've experienced this fulfillment. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Still have this mindset of when is Israel going to be restored from the tyranny of Rome? Is the power of the Spirit going to result in Rome no longer being our dictator? And Christ's response, but he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. You're not going to know the times and the seasons when Christ is going to return. And that's the same for us, is we don't know the exact day and hour that Christ is going to return. Verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You shall receive power. That word power, it's dynamite, it's dunamos in, in the Greek. God giving us his power through the Holy Spirit to be able to be the witness of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit coming upon you. Please take note of that. There's three relationships that the disciples had with the Holy Spirit. The first was the Holy Spirit was with them before Jesus died on the cross and rose again. 
For those of us that are believers, we can look back before we knew the Lord and the Holy Spirit was with us drawing to Christ. But then when Jesus died and rose again, the Holy Spirit came upon, or excuse me, came in the disciples. At the end of John's gospel, Jesus breathed on the disciples and the Holy Spirit was in them. When we receive Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in us. But this is a third relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit coming upon us in power so that we could be his witness. And there's a lot of questions about the filling of the Holy Spirit. There's been a lot of abuses of the Holy Spirit, a lot of things that people claim to be the Holy Spirit that's not the Holy Spirit. So a lot of people have this reservation about the work of the Spirit in their lives. But Jesus told us some pretty radical things and encouraging things about the Spirit. He said, it's beneficial for me to go away so that the Spirit can come to you. As awesome as it would be to have Christ's physical presence with us, that's an external relationship. When Jesus ascended to the Father and the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples, the Spirit of God was inside of them. So it goes from external to internal, and Jesus said, the Spirit's going to be your helper, your comforter, and your teacher. So Jesus emphasized the importance of the Holy Spirit coming upon us. And the purpose of the Spirit coming upon us is so that we shall be witnesses. So people can look at our lives and see a testimony of Jesus Christ. That's a supernatural work of God in our lives. In Ephesians 5, we're told, don't be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And that is to be continually filled with the Spirit. In Zechariah 4, verse 6, it says, not by power or by might, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. God's Spirit filling us. As we approach these days that we're living in and the uncertainty of the coronavirus and such a great spiritual need, it takes the power of the Holy Spirit. It takes us relying upon God's Spirit. The reason that the Church of Acts was so alive is because they were relying on the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, being obedient to the things of the Spirit. Jesus also told us that we being evil know how to give good gifts to our kids. How much does God, our Heavenly Father, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So the Spirit of God is in us as believers, but God wants us asking for the power of the Holy Spirit. Waking up each day saying, God, would you give me the power of the Spirit? I desire to be led and to be filled with your Spirit. Second point, turn with me to Acts chapter 8, is we're sent through suffering. We're sent through the Spirit, but we're also sent through suffering. The church, even though they were commanded by God to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, largely stayed together, largely stayed in Jerusalem in this holy huddle and never took the gospel outside of Jerusalem until there was suffering. It took suffering for them to move into God's mission. Now Saul was consenting to his death. This is Stephen. Stephen is the martyr faithful servant of God. And in chapter seven, he gets stoned to death in his love for the Lord. And Saul, who would become Paul, is consenting to the death of of Stephen. And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So 
Note what the Bible says here, a great persecution. Imagine Saul coming into your house and arresting you because of your faith in Christ, separating you from your family, Christians being put to death. What happens is now the church is scattered. There's the church gathered, but now the church is scattered and they go to Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. I believe this, this is one of the things that God is doing through this coronavirus is it's causing the church to be scattered in a good way. We're gathered and we're used to gathering together and I'm sure we'll be able to do that in the near future. But for right now, God has us scattered. And why does he have us scattered? I believe that he has us scattered so that we would take the gospel to places that we wouldn't normally go. One of the great things about the live stream is you can interact with me right now. Last week in our message, we talked about being intentional about taking the gospel to unbelievers. So share in the chat maybe how you had a God appointment this week to share the love of Christ. Or maybe because of the coronavirus, you've had an opportunity to share Christ. So reach out to us through that chat and share that testimony with us. Even right now, the church as a whole is being forced to use some different methods than what we normally use. And using the live stream to reach out to those that don't know Christ as as their Savior. So God's going to use suffering in our lives to get the church to change its method, to get the church to reach out in some new ways. So I wish that being sent by the Lord was easier sometimes. I wish that us entering into his mission would would happen without the pain and the suffering, but many times it's through suffering. It's through suffering that God takes us to the Judea and the Samaria and gives us an opportunity to share the gospel. It's suffering sometimes that takes us out of our holy huddle and puts us around unbelievers that we normally wouldn't have the opportunity to share with. In verse two, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and, married, and made great lamentation over him. They're the pallbearers, and they're mourning over the death of Stephen. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. What's so amazing is Saul, who's leading the opposition to the church, is going to be saved. He's going to come to know Christ as a savior. Maybe you've been opposed to the things of God and God's going to get your attention. Maybe you know someone who is a Saul type figure. God's able to get their attention and bring them to Christ. I love verse four. It's a real anchor and target gives us marching orders in verse four. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. They could have been scattered and not preached the word. They could have been scattered and lived in fear. They've just gotten persecuted. Some have just gotten arrested. But the church scatters and they decide to preach the word everywhere that they go. And that should be our direction as well. Now more than ever, Colorado Springs, our country, our world, needs the word of God. The word of God is the hope. The word of God is the anchor. The word of God is what gives us peace and So take the truth of scripture, the truth of who God is, and share that and and preach that. The church didn't shrink back. And this is not the time for us to shrink back. This is the time for us to preach the word as we're being scattered. 
Look at Philip in verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Philip goes to Samaria. What do we know about Samaria? The Samaritans were half Assyrian and half Jewish. And because of that, the nation of Israel rejected them. They had their own worship system. They didn't know the one true living God. This is an area that the church didn't want to go prior to this. The Jews, when they would travel from Jerusalem to the Galilee region, they would go around Samaria, even though it was a much longer track for them. But because of the persecution, because of the suffering, now Philip has to go to Samaria, but he chooses to preach Christ. Who, in a sense, is that Samaritan in our community, in our workplace, in our families? Is there someone that tends to be an outcast, someone that doesn't fit in with with the social norm? And how could we go to them and share the gospel? Maybe what is the Samaria that the church has been neglecting? You know, where are we as Rocky Mountain Calvary as we've gotten comfortable meeting here uh, together? Where's the Samaria in our own community that we have forgotten that God is calling us to? Notice what Philip does as he preached Christ. And we need to preach Christ. This is the opportunity to be able to to preach Christ. As believers, as the body of Christ, we're not experts on the coronavirus. As we have opportunities to talk with people, I, I hope that it's not that we're just giving our opinion on the coronavirus. So so easy to do. But we have an opportunity in that conversation to say, I don't know what's going to happen with the coronavirus, but I do know Christ. And I do trust Christ. And do you know Christ as your Savior? Our message is not a political message. Our primary message is not about this upcoming election. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what Philip went and he preached. He preached Jesus. We get to preach Jesus. As you're listening, you may have found this live stream and you don't know Christ as as your Savior. You're saying, how do I know Jesus? What does it mean to be in personal relationship with him? John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God loves you. For God so loved you, the love that you're looking for, the love that you're longing for, it's only found in Christ. The peace and the certainty of everlasting life. You can know that you have everlasting life. Why do you need a savior? Because of our sin. Each and every one of us is a sinner. And our sin has separated us from God. But God in his love gave his son, his only begotten son, to die upon the cross that all that turn from sin and repent and believe, inviting Jesus to be their Lord, taking over their life, have a personal relationship with Christ that gives them heaven and saves them from hell, and Christ then walks with you and never leaves you or forsakes you. And as much as we're worried about finances and we're worried about health and the uncertainty of the future, the greatest need that you have is your relationship with Christ. The greatest need that you have is your spiritual need to know Christ as your Savior. Right now, you can turn to Christ and trust Him and believe Him for salvation. So Christ is what we preach as we're scattered. And then notice what happens in Samaria. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Paul, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Multitudes came and responded. Multitudes came and heeded the message that 
Philip gave of Jesus. We tend to think that people don't want to turn to Christ. We tend to think that they're not interested in Christ. And that's a false assumption. There's many that want to know Christ. There's many that are ready to trust and and receive Christ. The miracles, the purpose of the miracles are to glorify Christ, to bring attention to Christ. In verse 7, for the unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed. And the lame were healed and there was great joy in that city. They start bringing to Philip those that were demon-possessed and paralyzed and lame. And God begins to do miracles and there was great joy in that city as we're being sent by suffering. His suffering is taking us to different locations and we're, we're scattered. Imagine the joy that could come into people's lives as they know Christ is their Savior. Believe in faith of a neighbor coming to, to know the Lord, of a husband and wife coming out of darkness into the light, God touching a marriage and changing a family, Jesus entering into the life of a young person, a 16-year-old, an 18-year-old, and giving them hope for tomorrow, hope for the future, great joy. So thankful for the churches in Colorado Springs, and we're, we're praying for the churches in Colorado Springs. But there's so many people that don't know Christ as their Savior, and to see the love of Jesus Christ to come into their lives. And when it's dark, the light shines bright. To think of all of the communities across the country and the world as it's a time of uncertainty and darkness, that the love of Jesus Christ would go out and there would be great joy that would come into communities throughout the world. Third point is we're sent through prayer. In chapter 13, if you turn with me to chapter 13, we see the elders of the church of Antioch gathering in prayer. And out of that, there was instruction from the Lord. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there was a certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manning, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So the gospel is no longer just a Jerusalem thing. It's not just a Jewish thing. There's a church in Antioch, a Gentile city, we see Niger and Lucius of Cyrene. We see Manning, who is a Gentile who grew up with, with Herod. Saul has been saved. He's now become Paul and is a faithful servant in the church of Antioch. So here are these prophets and teachers that are getting together. And they ministered to the Lord and they fasted. The Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on him, them, they sent them away. The group of leaders here, elders in the church, pastors, the prophets, they weren't coming to necessarily get an answer from the Lord. They weren't saying, God, we need direction on what to do next. Instead, they were just so in love with Jesus that they wanted to come and minister to the Lord. And out of that, God gave them direction. There's a big difference between ministering for the Lord and ministering to the Lord. Ministering for the Lord is service. It's things that God's calling us to do. But ministering to the Lord is just coming to the Lord and saying, Jesus, we love you. We're so thankful to be your children. We're so thankful for your presence in our lives. We're so thankful for eternal life. 
this blesses me as a dad. This week was my, my birthday on Thursday, and my 16-year-old daughter, she's got her driver's license now, and she texts me about 1.20 and says, hey, dad, can I come see you at work? I said, yeah, I'm free. Come by. And she comes by with my favorite kind of chips, boulder chips, right? She'd gone to the grocery store, bought the chips with her own money, and she just sat down with me for about a half hour in my office, and we hung out before she had to go to her next thing. And I loved that. That was such a blessing to me as a dad. She just came to minister to me, say, Dad, I love you. Dad, I appreciate you. Did that all on her own. When we do that with the Lord, when we just say, God, I'm just coming to draw near to you because you're good. I'm not asking you for anything. You don't have to do anything for me. I just, I love you. I'm so thankful to be your child. One of the things that you can pray for us as a pastoral team is it's easy to get so busy doing things for the Lord that we can neglect ministering to the Lord. And this has been a real target for us as a staff and as pastors is taking time out of our work week to just love on the Lord and to pray and and to minister to the Lord. And as we do that, whether it's pastors or in our lives individually, oftentimes God does direct us. The send comes out of that worship And the Spirit of God speaks to them collectively and says, okay, take Saul and take Barnabas and send them out. As we study the book of Acts, this is a big turning point in the book of Acts. There's so much fruit that came out of Saul and Barnabas being sent out. If we were at the church of Antioch, we would have been bummed. It would have been easy to go, man, I love hanging out with Saul. I love Barnabas's teaching. They sent out their best because that's what the Holy Spirit had led. And throughout times in our church, the Holy Spirit has been evident that he's called some of our pastors out to start churches, to be missionaries, to do things internationally. There's been people in our body, in our church family that have been called out by by the Holy Spirit. And we want to be a church that affirms what the Holy Spirit is doing in the lives of people. If RMC is not your home church, I would encourage you as well. Be an encourager of the work of the Spirit in the life of another believer. Because sometimes as believers, we can be Debbie Downers, can't we? Or Debbie Doubters. Or Dan Doubters. And say, look, you can't do that. Have you thought this through? Have you counted the cost? You don't have enough experience But when someone comes and says, man, I really have a heart for my neighbor. I'm praying for them. Encourage them in that. When they say, hey, I've got a heart to go teach the second graders down the hall. Don't go, hey, I don't think you'd be very good with kids. Are you sure? When you can sense that someone's spent time with the Lord and they've prayed, yes, it's good to be able to offer wisdom, but make sure that you're encouraging and you're affirming in that work. This is a beautiful time right now in what our country and community is facing to get alone with the Lord and say, God, what would you have for me? And I'm coming to minister to you. I just want you to know that I love you and to see how the Lord would send you out. In Isaiah chapter six, we see the prophet and he gets a vision of the throne room of God. And God His voice has heard who will go for us. And here the prophet Isaiah says, here am I, Lord, send me. And may that be the response to what the Lord is doing in our lives and in the lives of the church is, yes, Lord, we're willing. 
We're willing for people to be sent out in Jesus' name. We're willing to go. Yes, Lord, I'm willing to go across the street. How this has worked out recently for us as a church is two years ago, God opened up the door for us to open up an RMC campus in Ellicott, which is 45 minutes east of here or so. And that was quite a process. There was three or four years prior to that of saying, Lord, do you want us to have a campus? If so, what does it look like? Waiting upon the Lord and praying, and at times we would dismiss it, go, oh, that must just be our flesh, but we kept coming back to it. Then one of our pastors became aware of this empty church building that was out in Ellicott, where they hadn't met for about seven years or so. There's two widows that kept the maintenance of the church going, and ultimately the church building in three acres was sold to RMC for $100,000. And then the market today, you can't get a lot for 100000 So that campus is completely debt-free. And the Lord is really using that campus to pour out living water on the Eastern Plains. And the schools and the volunteer fire department with many families. But there was a process of prayer prior to that. And not wondering what the Lord was doing. And Pastor Rich, who's the campus pastor, he's the perfect person for that campus. In a sense, he's the Saul that was sent, the Paul that was sent to be able to, to do that work. And God has been so gracious. So let's take that time to pray. Right now is a good time to fast and pray. The pastors, the teachers, the prophets, they were fasting and praying. We've been focusing on prayer as a church, the fourth Wednesday of the month being a time of prayer and, and worship. So as the Lord leads you, pray and fast, minister to the Lord and see what comes out of that. I want to leave us this morning with the story of a man who is known as the demoniac. His life was a complete mess. The Bible says that he was demon-possessed with multiple demons to where his name was Legion because there was so many demons inside of him. How does a person get demon-possessed? I believe they open themselves up to darkness. They open themselves up to, to Satan, similar to how someone opens themselves up to light and to Christ. As he's demon-possessed, he was tormented. The community had no answers for this demon-possessed man. They would shackle him to try to keep him under control, but he would simply break the chains. He was living in a tomb, a place of death, a cave where they would bury their, their dead, cutting himself absolutely naked. Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee. It appears that Jesus is going out of his way, but no, this is exactly on his way to minister to the demoniac. Huge storm breaks out on the Sea of Galilee. The disciples think they're going to die. Christ calms the storm. Disciples are, whew, we made it to the other side only to face the demoniac. Jesus casts out the demons. Jesus saves his life. Jesus sets him free. The demons are cast into some pigs that drowned in the Sea of Galilee. And I read to you out of Mark chapter 5. It says, And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. So he's begging. Can you imagine? Jesus is everything to him. Jesus, I'm going to be with you. I want to go with you. 
And Christ says, no, you can't come with me, but I want you to go home to your friends, which can be the toughest audience, your home, your friends, your, your family member, and share the great things that I have done for you and how I've had compassion on you. Notice what the demoniac does. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for them and all marveled. Decapolis is 10 cities. That's what it means. So this man not only went home and went to his friends, but he goes to 10 cities proclaiming what Christ had done in his life. He felt that it was so wonderful what Jesus had done for him that people ought to know. It's like people ought to know. And for us, when we think about being a witness, when we think about being sent by the Lord, when we think about entering into this community in the midst of the suffering that it's going through, share what God has done in your life. Share what he did in your life to bring you to Christ. What were the circumstances leading up to it? How did he bring you to Christ? What's changed in your life since knowing Christ? How do you have peace in your heart in the midst of all of this because you know Christ and you are the child of God? But go and tell what Christ has done for you. Don't make it complicated. Keep it simple. Keep it direct on what Christ has done for you, on his saving power in our hearts and in our lives. So let's pray and pray that the Lord would equip us in this as he sends us out. Jesus, we come before you and we acknowledge that you're doing something. This is such a unique time. I've never given a message directed to our church family via live stream and we're thankful for the technology. But you are scattering us. And we see your hand. And so may we embrace the, the methods that are changing. Lord, may we open up our homes to believers and unbelievers. May we be sensitive to your spirit. Holy Spirit, would you fall afresh on our lives? It's not by power or by might, but by your spirit. So Holy Spirit, would you fill us? As we're listening to this message in our home or sitting in a coffee shop or in our car, we pray for a fresh filling of your spirit so that we could be witnesses. Help us to go out to the Samaria, to, to the Judea, to the uttermost parts of the earth. We pray in Jesus' name that there would be an explosion of the gospel that would take place, that you would ignite in the heart of believers all over the world to share Christ. Would you bring an interest to Jesus? an interest to what he has done, his death and, and resurrection. We pray for those that are listening this morning that they would trust you for salvation. So we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.